Yeah, did you see the, uh, saw right before we started recording that uh, the House passed, uh, what, the Respect for Marriage Act? Passed pretty pretty big. I mean, there was like, several dozen votes. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, since you mentioned it, uh, 267 to 157, so about two-thirds, roughly. Uh, I don't know what's in it. I just, you, you just brought it up, and I just pulled it up, so. Yeah, I think it caught I think a lot of it was because of uh, Justice Thomas Thomas's kind of a opinion that wasn't voted on in SCOTUS, but they went ahead and codified as supposed to uh, basically, you know, recognize, make legal um, gay marriage, interracial marriage. Um, it changes the the definition of marriage under the Defense of Marriage Act. So that's what it did. Like 40-something Republicans voted with the Democrats, 150-something yeah, Republicans said no. Uh, does does it matter if they codify it, much like abortion, if the Supreme Court says, no, you can't federalize that? That's a state's issue? I don't know. I like, think the argument, matter, I think, well, I think the argument was the federal gov- the Constitution is silent and the federal government has not passed legislation, so it therefore has to go to the states. So I yes. think that's what, like they didn't, what Congress yes. is trying to do yeah, now. There was, there was no like federal law that SCOTUS ruled on in Roe. Their mm-hmm. new uh, what is the uh, it's not what was the decision the who was the plaintiff in the case uh, for uh, Roe v Wade who when they overturned Roe like I know Roe yeah, v Wade uh, it, what um, was Dobbs. the newest case called Dobbs, Dobbs, Dobbs yeah, yeah for the Mississippi yeah. yeah so the Dobbs the Dobbs ruling wasn't that there was any law that was unconstitutional it was just that the Constitution doesn't protect abortion like they said in Roe v Wade but like for my thoughts like I don't even if we caught they caught they're trying to codify same-sex marriage and protect that under federal law. Same with abortion, which I don't think they'll get nearly as much Republican support on that as they did this uh, bill. But to me, it's just like, well, then somebody's just going to sue and go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court is going to do the exact same thing and be like, okay, you can't federalize this. It has to be a state's thing. I don't, I don't see like, there's not, it's not as far of a, it's not much of a leap in logic for them to just overturn any federal law either. Uh, it would just kind of be a temporary. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that whole argument would be different because, I mean, with, with abortion, there was no legislation to to argue, so they could never say, does the federal government have the right to pass this legislation? It sure. was always it, it's, the it's, a different, it's a different question, but I feel like the answer is the exact same. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be the, the outcome. The, the the SCOTUS outcome would be the same. It definitely won't be nine nothing, but I'd be surprised if it didn't pass. Um, I mean, I, I think they would. I mean, they would definitely get um, uh, Chief Justice Roberts um, with uh, what Gray or Kagan and uh, Jackson now. Um, so I think they. I think they'd get four. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think they. I think they. They wouldn't get Thomas, but I think they'd probably get uh, either uh, Justice Barrett or. Um, uh, I'm not so sure. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, at least uh, they're doing something, and we kind of brought it up earlier. They are repealing some of the Defensive Marriage Act from '96, which basically reiterated the outlawing of gay marriage. So that's interesting. They had, uh, like like you said, 47 Republicans backing it, a bipartisan bill. It's interesting, but it has to go to the Senate now. Which, if anybody remembers how bills become a law, Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> the Senate's got to vote on it, and then it'll go to the president, except they need 60 votes in the Senate filibuster. It kind of 
ties in with our main topic tonight. But what do you do? You think the Senate will pass this bill? They only need, they had forty seven in the House Republicans. They only need ten in the Senate. Do you think uh, they'll get ten? Uh, not sure they get ten. I think they get five to eight. I, I, yeah, I think like it's gonna be close. It's like the same three, right? You have uh, well, actually, I don't even know if you'll get Romney on this one. Him being from Utah and being a, a Mormon. But, but I think uh, you get Senator Kowski, uh, Collins. You think you yeah. get Paul? Uh, I mean, he, he. I feel like he. I mean, he's the strongest libertarian senator and uh, senator in the Senate. Yes. I, I would think, and I think it's it's a pretty egregious um, step away from libertarianism when you say the government has an invested interest in something that does not affect anybody else's life, liberty, or property. Like yes, but I'm I I've followed senator paul enough to know that he's gonna vote no and then cite that he thinks it's a state's issue and the federal government shouldn't rule on it yeah i mean that, that might that's be his that's his wormy way out of all of these i i agree with you that he's the most libertarian senator but that doesn't mean anything he's not a libertarian he's he's a libertarian when it suits him uh <laughs> it's he's very he's very he's a very unprincipled libertarian libertarian is what i'll say I'll say he'll he'll have consistency in like voting against stuff, but his reasoning is just all over the place. And I don't know. I don't, I don't, I agree with you that I think, I think a normal libertarian Senator would say, yeah, everybody should have the same rights, but I don't think he's, I think he's, he uses that shield of state's rights to uh, kind of contradict. That's my read on Rand Paul. Yeah. No, I think it'll be interesting though. I mean, to some degree for that reason, because there are other senators like, uh, like I don't know if I'd say Senator Sass is libertarian, um, but I generally expect, respect um, his rationale. I respect the way he goes about carrying himself. So it'll be interesting to see how he votes on some of these as well. But I don't know if they'll get 10. No, nah, I think 10 just, I think 10 just stretch in an election year. Yeah. And that's, again, a good segue into our main topic. We've been, I've said some form of, we need to do an episode on our system of government in some way, shape, or form. In probably every single episode we've recorded, uh, <laughs> at least if as long if it was politics adjacent, I've said that. The 60 votes in the Senate is a huge wall. That's not the only, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the only thing the Constitution says about a certain number of votes in the Senate and the House is on constitutional amendments. You have to have, you know, two-thirds and then three-fourths of the states. Like, that's a specific number. There's no 60 vote threshold in the Constitution for anything else. That was put in later. Uh, it it's really affected the way the Senate works and the way things get passed. Like two thirds of the House of Representatives, about like I said, two was the number two sixty seven to one fifty seven. So two thirds of the House voted in favor of something, and now you need sixty Senate votes instead of just fifty or fifty one. Uh, and then obviously the president, it really affects the way things get done in this country or don't get done is what. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how many senators they get. I don't know. There's not enough. Usually with something like this, the way you get senators in an election year is if they're in a toss up kind of situation. But I can't think of many that there's definitely not 10 that have toss up elections coming up where this would be talking point in those elections. Yeah, but what'll be interesting because I think some of them have uh, like more MAGA-like primary challengers. So the way they vote on this can affect them in the primaries. Sure. I mean, so I think so. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see 
how people vote, the rationale for it, and also where they are in their election cycles. Um, because I think all of that is going to factor into uh, the calculus for how they should vote more so than what are their principles of government and uh, what is good government governance in light of the Constitution and the federalist system we have. So good yeah. time to be had. <laughs> yeah. But this is also why, like, codifying Roe v. Wade's not going to happen. Like, they should have did it in uh, 2009 when Obama took office. Uh, I mean, that, nice, right? the they best. probably wish they would have done a lot of things in 2009. Instead of what? wasting all their time on making a health care bill that really didn't change much, uh, they could have affected other things. Like, if you weren't going to, if you weren't going to overhaul health care and make it a single payer or a have a government option, like, what are you doing? What, what was the point? There's literally, I mean, don't get me wrong. The ACA did some good stuff. Don't get, but like it, they used all their political capital on it and it really didn't change a whole lot. Yeah, but they kind of had to because President Obama made that probably the most significant uh, piece of his campaign as far as what he wanted to get done legislatively. Right. Yeah. Health healthcare for sure. That's what I'm saying. But like if yeah. you were going to overall healthcare and you had those kind of majorities, like they didn't really. But, but truth <laughs> be told, I think so much of why there are probably a number of reasons he got elected. But one of them was he did say, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. It's not going to be a radical transformation because the, the American public doesn't like radical transformation of anything. Sure. So I think he and others like him probably agree with you and uh, philosophy of medical insurance. But there's no way they could. They can either say that in a campaign or actually get that passed. Um, I mean, I think they were thinking this is going to be a, in the realm of politics and policy, a big step towards that, which they believe is the solution for medical insurance. And, and being well, what's the most funny helpful. is you said that he campaigned on it, and then there were still instances where people couldn't keep their doctors. So if that if you're going to take that political hit anyway, you might as well have just made a government option. But that's in the past. We have what we have. Let's get this intro out of the way. As always, I'm Jake at the rate, but the A's of four on Twitter, joined by Thomas Black underscore 86 on Twitter. We're the 1v1 Deep State podcast, episode number 23, almost at the 25 mark. Almost been, we've been doing this for about a year now. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's about, yeah, it's about this time last year, I think. So, yeah, July, August. That's crazy. Time flies. I'm about to have another kid. Somebody send help. <laughs> and I haven't had uh, any more kids, so it's a good thing. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm trying to catch up. Uh, never going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were having some, as well, I tell you every single time, join the Discord. Uh, if you want to talk to Thomas and I, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because Thomas never talks. Uh, we were discussing, um, what do we talk about this week? Oh, uh, Abbott didn't go to the Uvalde, any of the Uvalde shooting victim funerals that was interesting and uh, i'm sure somebody will post about the, the the respect for marriage thing i haven't checked the discord tonight but we always have good conversations in there i've also uh the other 1v1 podcast 1v1 gaming i was with josh last night on his stream and we were discussing uh we were ranking the best john cusack movies but then we were also had a huge fight me and josh were actually on the same team but we were fighting with chat about who was better kobe or lebron that's been the big uh, talking point today, I think, in chat and Discord in the sports channel, people who, people who are insane and think Kobe is better than LeBron at bas- as a basketball player, false and indefensible, <laughs> much like Thomas's opinion on a lot of things. But join the Discord. Links in the description. Come have fun with us. We have plenty of channels to talk about: books, TV, movies, video games, 
politics, sports, everything, all that. Uh, Thomas and I were just discussing a little bit about the Deshaun Watson report that he's only going to get two to eight game suspension, which is insanity. Uh, that'll be a big topic whenever that gets handed down. I'm sure that'll be a lively debate on the Discord. But yeah, join. It's fun. It's a good time. I always uh, am excited to open that up after I get out of work and see what I missed for the day. Uh, but yeah, episode 23, we're going to be talking about how our system of government doesn't work, how we can fix it, what, uh, why we have the current system we do, that sort of thing. Again, if you've been listening all along, you know that I have huge problems with how the government is set up and uh, it's not something that's probably going to be fixed. But me and Thomas are going to give our opinions anyway. Uh, first things first, Thomas, how you been? It's been a couple of weeks since our last recording. And uh, you going out of town again next week or what? Yeah, we got our last trip of the summer next week before we kind of start ramping back up into fall activities. So we'll be down in Virginia Beach vacationing and uh, then back to, to real life after that. Fun little beach trip. Uh, you guys, where else did you go this summer? Michigan. Um, I stayed home for that one. Um, then like four or five days after they got back from Michigan, we all went to Florida, uh, near, you know, in the central Florida area. So that was a good trip. And, uh, yeah, back home for two weeks and then we'll be on the road again. So it's fun. We're uh, not driving. We're not going anywhere for the foreseeable future when this newborn comes. So, uh, hopefully next year we wanted to, we did a beach trip this summer, uh, as soon as I got out of school, but Next year, I think we'll do another uh, one. Probably not Florida. We'll probably do something Outer Banks or something close. Dude, your wife is a hero for going to Florida while pregnant. Like when my wife was pregnant, she was like, I'm not doing Florida summers. Um, <laughs> well, it was still May, so it wasn't too bad. It was like it was like low 80s, which was perfect beach weather. The water was a little cold, but the weather was, wasn't overly hot. But yeah, she uh, she is a trooper. And uh, yeah, I just I know that. We already have family saying like, oh, when are you going to come to Arizona? When are you going to come to Florida with the newborn? We want to meet him. I'm like, we're not. We're not coming anywhere for like a year. Like I'm not traveling with a newborn and a two-year-old. It's just a nightmare. It's always funny to me when like we get that question. It's like, you know, we have five kids. Yeah. And two babies. And you guys don't have any. So yeah. if yeah, we're talking yeah. about travel. <laughs> for sure. It's uh, We did a lot of travel last, last summer. And it, it went pretty well considering – but I'm not going to do that with two kids. Not not even a, not even a thought in my mind. <laughs> that's that's it, probably probably a safe bet. Yeah, at least you have like three older kids who can kind of help out a little bit. Like it's just the two of us, and we have two young kids. Well, we will have two young kids, but like even the two of us with one young kid last year was not going to do that again for at least a year. But the countdown begins. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're talking any any minute now. My wife could go into labor. Uh, we've and hit you that said, mark. You said we're going to do a live recording when she goes into labor, right? Yeah, I'm going to give you. I'm going to live stream, and you can join <laughs> my live stream, and uh, I'll give you the play-by-play. Uh, she's crowning. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she would. She would kill me. I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited, and I am cherishing every moment of sleep and peace and quiet I have currently because I know that that's going to be in short supply. Very soon. But my mother-in-law got in last night. She'll be here for a month. And then my mom's coming when she leaves for a couple of weeks. So we'll have some help around the house, which will be nice. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure what our recording schedule is going to look like. It's gonna, it's probably going to have to play it by ear. I think it'll be a lot more. We should d- debate like the topics that we disagree on the most during this time. 
going to be a lot more fun for me if you're sleep deprived and not putting together coherent thoughts well and we yeah. get it all on air so yeah i'm sure it'll be we it's definitely got to be something where it's a complex topic that requires a lot of <laughs> a lot of deep thought we'll do like criminal justice reform sometime around that time yeah something something fun like that but yeah uh gonna be spotty not i mean we've been spotty all summer it's it's just what it is what it is both of us have busy lives uh and it's it's i'm not missing a vacation just to record a podcast so i don't expect you to either but yeah uh well it'll be fun we'll figure it out and but yeah back to the main topic at hand i again wanted to talk about this for a long time it's not something that like Spoiler alert, nothing's ever going to change. <laughs> no matter, <laughs> even if we have the best solution possible, it's not going to change because there's no incentive to. That's kind of my bottom line up front. But the reason why this topic kind of gets always pushed down on the priority list is just because of that. It's a very set in stone. This is the, the system of government we have and we have to kind of live with it. But that's not going to stop me from complaining about it for an hour with you. So what, just right up front, like what do you think the main, like in a very concise sentence what do you think the main problem with our system of government is well hold on before we get to that do you think we have the best system of government in the world like as a model like Mm. not as a model as in the context of other governments around the world do we have the best system of government i think we have the best framework not the best practice and and but but at the same time i would still say if you're looking across the world uh there's no such thing as a non-corrupt, non-self-centered government institution. Sure. So even in our – where we could be a lot better in practice, um, I would still put us obviously top tier. I mean we're generally functional, generally have the same um, goals. Like I think even both parties would both look at things and say, yes, this is a problem. And they just have very different ways of, of trying to approach it. But I think that's – those are good things if, if – you know, and, and – recognizing kind of where we are with our government and how we function. Yeah. So let me, I think that's, I think I agree with that. Do you uh, like the, you know, three branches of government or do you think that the like parliamentary system is a better general system? I don't like, I think our constitution is probably the best. I actually definitively it's the best in the world. Like as far as setting up a government, I agree with that. Um, But I kind of, I kind of like the parliamentary system. Parliamentary. Um, so, Parliamentarian? Parliamentary? I don't know. Someone's yeah. going to have to check All me on that. Yeah. So, so, um, I'm American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the legislative body would probably be more reflective you know, of a government of by and for the people if it was more parliamentarian um, yeah. and structured like that. But I think we can have that and still have our three branches of government. I think the only thing I would change – with the way our three branches of government relate to each other. Um, and you may disagree with this, but it is what it is. Right now, the, the current structure is uh, a law is passed. You have to uh, break the law and then show the court essentially how following the law would be harmful to you before the courts can overturn it. There are other systems of government where whatever the law is passed, it then goes to the court. Um, judicial review. Exactly, for judicial review. Um, and I, I like that better because it allows citizens who want to obey the government um, to not have to go through a civil disobedience process to prove this law is not just or consistent with the Constitution or previous laws uh, passed. So that would be my biggest change I think I would make to the checks and balances system we have of our three uh, three houses of government. Yeah, I like that idea. Uh, as far as 
parliamentary par- parliamentarian. Ah, uh, man, it's gonna bother. I think it's parliamentarian for what it's worth. Parliamentarian. The reason I kind of like that is I like the prime minister idea. I like that if your party gets voted in by the people across Congress, we'll we'll, we'll relate it to Congress. You win the House, you win the Senate. I like the fact that, like, okay, then you get the prime minister. And, like, that's how you get stuff done. I've said this before. I can't remember what episode. But I kind of want to see a system of our government where the winning party gets to do with what their agenda is. And they get to put in place what their agenda is. And then we get to see what happens. And if it's bad, they get voted out. The other party gets put back in. And their agenda gets put in place. We don't really have that. We have very few things on your agenda can can get passed and rammed through. But by and large, your whole platform is not going to get, especially in four years, your platform is not going to even get, the surface isn't going to get scratched. And I'm not, I don't think that like Canada or the UK necessarily have a system where that also happens, like where you get to just apply your agenda in totality. But I think it's still a better idea than like, there's literally nothing worse than having, you know, a, a democratic house, a Republican Senate, a dim president or a Republican Senate and a Republican president or like, like we're like nothing meshes, nothing gets done. Like it, it takes disasters to come together to do anything. And like, by that time it's too, like we can't have a forward thinking government like that. Uh, we have a very retroactive government that only reacts a very reactive government instead of a proactive government. And I've talked to plenty of people who actually prefer that they don't want a government that is proactive. Uh, they want, and I'm by and large, again, kind of libertarian thought is like the less the less big government, the better. Uh, I think that's I don't I think childish is too, too strong of a word, but I don't, I don't think it's realistic. I don't think that's a realistic way to government govern in the 20 in 2022 and beyond. Like we're going to be facing some very serious issues. Climate change is one of them. We're seeing all over the place. I just tweeted today. uh all the dis- all the little districts in Oklahoma are over 100 degrees in the first time in this like news station or whatever weather trackers history. They're hitting record high temperatures in the UK right now. Uh, climate change is a very forward thinking issue, and we're not going to do anything about it as a U.S. government until I don't want to say it's too late, but until it's very we're very very in the in the deep of it. And climate change is just one of the issues. Like I think tech is another one. We're we're basically on the precipice of an insane technological revolution. And we're so far behind the times on legislating what that looks like. And I think our system of government is set up to purposely not deal with stuff like that. Do you think it's the, well, I say, so maybe I'll I'll leave with this question. Define what you mean by system of government. Uh, That's a good, uh, that's a good point. The system of government we have that encourages a two party system and you need to, and one party needs to control the house at least 60 votes in the Senate and the presidency to basically get anything done. Gotcha. Okay. Our system, of, our system of government, like I know that's a very broad term, but our system of government, and you might, I don't think you'll disagree with me when I say this, but you might feel free to chime in. Our system of government, like I just said, encourages a two-party system. There's no other way it works without two dominant parties. There's no, it's the way it's designed. It, it's a race to the bottom and it, there can only be two parties. There's no, we might have – it's very possible to have two parties but like one's more extreme than the other. One, like there can be a centrist party and a far right or far left party or a far right and a far left party or a, you know two very more centristy parties. 
But there's always going to be two main parties. There's always going to be – there's no room for a third party in our government. And that's the way it's basically designed for better or worse. Yeah, and, and that's where – like in, in, in practice, you're absolutely right. Like we, We've almost always had just two parties with, with few exceptions um, on the, the main stage um, of politics. But it, it's, it's not a systemic problem in the sense of we have to only have two. Um, you know – Obviously, like, you know, Andrew Yang's getting a lot of attention for trying to start a third. But, I mean, if you get enough support, you can have as many number of parties as you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, our system of government doesn't say two parties. Yeah. The yeah, way is designed, yeah. it's that it's – we started out with multiple parties. But, like, the way it's – it because of the way our system of government is, and we, we'll get into the finer details, it, it was inevitable that we were going to end up with two parties. It doesn't matter. Like I said, it's, it's, it wasn't inevitable that we were going to end up with the Republicans and the Democrats and how their views yeah. came to be. That wasn't inevitable, but it was absolutely inevitable with the way that society is and the way things devolve that we were going to end up with only two parties. And I think that's that's a feature of our system of government, not a bug. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to chew on that a little longer to, to I guess, agree or disagree with that. But I, I think you're I think you're right. It's going to be incredibly hard to break away from two parties. Um, and again, as a country, we've never really – we've never done a good job of um, having a population that is consistently nuanced in their views to where a two-party system can't capture uh, an overwhelming support um, from the population, right? But you know, I think if we had – changes just to society, whereas I've got some things I agree with this party on, others I agree with this party on, that would almost force the hand of the structure to allow for third party candidates to kind of to, to rise up a little bit more. Um, and I think that's one thing that the American people, we, we as a people, I should say, have to realize is that we're going to get the government we deserve as, as a whole. I mean, there's nothing systemically that's stopping us from change. Um, except for the fact that most often we seem to just blame the other party for all the woes in society and government instead of saying, oh, no, the party I'm most closely affiliated with as well um, does this same nonsense or has these same problems. Um, so we don't try to force reform in our own circles. We just kind of assume that we're mostly right and they're mostly wrong. And that feeds this beast of a system that really thrives off of not solving problems and not taking hard stands just trying to scare you into saying it would be so much worse if the other guy was here well this is i mean as as proof of that the most successful third party candidate in this country's history theodore roosevelt bull moose party 27 percent of the vote against an incumbent republican like he roosevelt was also a republican before the bull moose party but he didn't like how taft was running things so he ran again under the bull moose party got 27 percent of the vote which beat taft but they split the Republican vote and Woodrow Wilson won with only 41%. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's why our system of government has devolved into a two party system in a nutshell. Like you can't have, you'll never win. Like Roosevelt and Taft agreed more than either one of them agreed with Wilson. Yeah. But the fact that they split the vote meant Wilson won. So by like, again, this is the, my entire argument in a nutshell. It's better to not run against somebody you're similar with that you only disagree with on a few points. Even if you disagree with fifty percent, if you're just if the opponent disagrees with you more than fifty percent, and you're only gonna you're only gonna do that, you're only gonna split the vote, and it's something that like it's it's 
it's what our system encourages. Like you're encouraged to not do that. And I oh, think yeah. I mean, we got 92, right. With Ross Perot um, and president Bush, like, but, but I think to some degree though, if you think the system of government um, might be the thing that is keeping us from being a more perfect union, um, you have to be willing to lose elections for the sake of reform. So the more often you don't vote for a third party, the more you encourage um, people That's, who don't toe the party line to toe the party line for the sake of being able to hopefully get something good done. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, as libertarians are generally more vote more Republican because like Republicans are used to be the party of small government. Um, but in general, like they're they're they might not have the same philosophy. But like, if Republicans want less taxes, they want less federal government. Uh, you know. Very, very popular in the Republican primaries is talking about which which department of the federal government you're going to abolish as soon as you're elected. Department of Energy, department, well, not energy. Um, is that what Rick Perry said? Was it energy? Yeah. Department of became, Education. He became Secretary of Energy. So. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. That's the irony is palpable in the universe. Uh, department, you know, <laughs> Department of Education, IRS, like that's a big thing. It's like talking about so like that. That is closer to a libertarian viewpoint than anything on the left, other than like the left wants you to, you know gay marriage, uh, drugs, that's, those are some libertarian social principles, but in general, the, like, uh, their philosophy on government more aligns with Republicans. So it's like, if you vote for the libertarian candidate and you're taking away votes for a Republican who might do more that align with your views, it's just the, the, the actual problem is first past the post voting. If you don't know what that is, look it up, go on YouTube. There's a, a YouTuber called CGP, Gray, G-R-E-Y, C-G-P Gray. And he has a very good video and he, he uses animals as candidates um, voting in the animal kingdom. And it, it does a really good job of explaining what first past the post is, what ranked choice voting is, what the pros and cons are. And I talked about this before. There's a different video that's similar in that vein about how a benevolent dictator is the best system of government. Uh, but it also goes like it goes across like it tells you the pros and cons of other systems of government and why benevolent dictator also has flaws. Um, very interesting series. And it's one of the one of my favorite videos to recommend to people as far as like the number one thing wrong with our system of government is first past the post voting for for our elections. If you do rank, cho- there's some states, the main, I think New York City, just their mayoral race was a ranked choice vote. Um, I know Maine tried some ranked choice voting and that's kind of kind of getting popularized. There are some states who just voted to disallow ranked choice voting, which is absurd. But what ranked choice voting is, is instead of just saying I vote for the Democratic candidate or I vote for the Republican candidate, uh, instead of voting for who you really like, like say you like a third party candidate the most, but you're worried about wasting your vote on them. Ranked choice voting allows you to do that. I vote for who did the Libertarian Party? Do you know who the Libertarian Party just nominated? No, no, not just nominated. Uh, you were talking about in a in a 2016. No, that was um, Gary Owen. The, yeah, he was the former governor of New Mexico. Yeah, I can't think of his name. Gary, Gary's his first name for sure. But they just voted for their new leader of their party. I can't I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. Um, but basically, like if you like the Libertarian Party, you vote for the Libertarian candidate. But then you get a tr- like your top three choices. So you vote for the Libertarian candidate. You can vote for. Uh, I don't know, the Green Party candidate or whatever aligns with your votes. And then as a third choice, you vote for the Republican candidate. Because while you might have 100% common with the Libertarian, 80% with the Green Party, and only 60% with the Republican, that's more than the 
or so percent you agree with the Democrat. So you vote for those top three and they tally up the votes and anybody who didn't meet a certain threshold, it's auto, it's automatic. It's called automatic runoff. They just cut that candidate out. And then you're like your top two candidates get votes. You're, you're, you know, you get to vote for those two candidates basically. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it takes away that feeling of, I got to vote for the lesser of two evils. Like I voted for Hillary in 2016 because I thought that she was would be a better president than Donald Trump. But it wasn't that I was like, oh, my God, I love Hillary. I, I voted for Bernie in the primary. Uh, but I would have voted – Gary Johnson is his name. Gary Johnson. There we go. Uh, I would have <laughs> – I voted for in 2016, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have – he would have been my number two choice. Maybe even my number one choice. But, like, voting for Gary Johnson was throwing away a vote at that point. Like, it's more of a protest vote. And that's exactly what it was for me. Like, I really yeah. – thought, I thought President Trump was going to lose, and I wanted enough Republicans to vote – like, go through the exercise of voting, vote off ticket – so the clear message was fix yourself because you're not you're, you're not um, being true to Republican principles or whatever they used to be, and you're not giving us good choices. So I want you to know I voted, but I want you to get you know a hundred thousand from Virginia that could have went to a Republican candidate if you would have done sensible. That's, that is that's like the only way to actually like get your voice heard. I, I like that a, a lot, but it is a protest vote, and mm-hmm. it's, you're not expecting your candidate to win, which is a crappy feeling and not oh well you should be able to vote for who you you should be able to vote for who you want and you should be able to feel good about that and not feel that way and first past the post voting is is one of the main like 60 or 70 percent of the reason why we have a two-party system uh because it incentivizes voting for the lesser of two evils yeah and, and that's right i think i think the party i think the country can thrive with two parties um but it would take two big changes which are not likely to happen it would take open primaries um, so me as a Virginian, I should be able to vote for Republicans or Democrats. And we do have that. Um, the only difference is I don't think you can vote. Do what? Some states don't. Yeah, some states no, do. Have no, Virginia does. I meant. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. clarifying that like some states only let you vote for the party that you're registered with. Yeah. And some states let you vote for in whatever election. Yep. And, and I think even if you have two primaries, you should be able to, you know, that your ballot should have the Democratic candidates and the Republican candidates, and then you should rank choice both of them. Because what that does is it forces everybody to make their case to the entire population that you're trying to represent, and then you get a better representation of what your community or what your state uh, values and believes about governance. And until you get both open primaries and ranked choice voting, um, like you say, you're, you're just stuck in this gridlock. Because nobody ever says I'm good. They say this. Guy. I don't say that, but the argument yeah. is more or less this guy's bad. I've heard Trump say he's good plenty of times. <laughs> so, but 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 yeah, but, but rank choice, choice voting changes 2016 because yes. you had a minority of the Republican Party at that time that were really big supporters of President Trump, but you had 15 people that were splitting the rest of the vote. Um, so they had done what the Democrats did in 2020, where you have more of the mainstream candidates drop out so they consolidate the votes for President Biden. Um, then President Trump wouldn't have won. Or if you'd have had ranked choice, he wouldn't have won, I don't think. But you're, you're, you're splitting the less radical, less sensational voting block. Legit, I think, at the time for the Republicans was 12 different ways, um, depending on, on what state you were in and when you voted. But that's what gave us... The, the radical extreme of, of President Trump. Yeah. And it's 
the reason why we I'm super pessimistic on any of this stuff changing, and we'll I'm sure we'll go into some other topics about our system of government, but specifically with ranked choice voting. Why in the world would either of the two parties pass laws to to weaken their position in getting elected? The entire point is to get elected. Again, it's a race to the bottom. They have zero incentive, just like they have zero incentive to give themselves term limits. They have zero incentive to open up their voting to third parties. Like, why put their seats at risk? It doesn't make any sense for them. So we're never going to get that. And again, there's no mechanism to fix that. There's no, like, as far as checks and balances go, the president can't just tell. It, it should be like that. I don't know if it's the president or what, but like, there should be an unbiased third party who controls you know, the salary of Congress, the like Congress shouldn't vote on their own salary. Congress shouldn't vote on their own term limits. Congress shouldn't vote on all that stuff because it, it incentivizes a two party system. It incentivizes. Well, it really incentivizes a one party system. But uh, yeah. right. We, we've we've distilled it down to two parties. But there's and, and it only it's a big reason why we've seen such polarity between the two parties. Like I said, our system of government absolutely could support two centrist governments that just or two centrist parties that disagree on minor details, but really we have our system of government encourages a divide and polarization because you can only have one of these two options and they suffocate everybody else. Yeah. But, but, and again, I I think, you know, what's interesting about that is, is I I don't think it's just me and you. I think most Americans with any issue, um, I mean, abortion is probably the most divisive, um, but most Americans respect the sovereignty of life and also have fears of a government that oversteps and, and meddles in the private affairs of their citizens. Gun violence. Most Americans have a concern with the number of mass shootings that are taking place over the last 20, 30 years, but they also don't think the government should disarm their citizens. So like, But in a two-party system with the way it is now, and I, I would, again, I would say more so with the way we vote now, um, reasonable discussion, good faith argument, appealing to those who um, you pretty much just give up on and know they're not going to vote for you. Like it just drives this uh, unnecessary radical tension. And I think even worse uh, is it affects the way you legislate. I think that's some of why Congress has given so much power to the executive branch because now they don't have to put their name on any divisive legislation yeah. that can cost them the job. And yes. I think worst of all, now they use their platform to try to further um, divide the American people and try to further um, create hostilities among the American people if it means that they would be more popular and seen as a savior of the country because the other side is so evil um, and, and hateful and all these other things. Man, I had a point and I wanted I just forgot it because I was listening to you, uh, which is a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Even uh, though we pretty much agree 100% on, on this issue. Oh, 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 oh. That, that unbiased third party that I mentioned before, the answer is referendums. You should, like, the people should straight vote on that sort of thing. It shouldn't be a representative vote. It should be when you go to the polls on a presidential uh, on a, you know, a presidential election year, like, there should be some, like, referendums, like, that control certain things about, again, it's mostly Congress, right? The president doesn't truly, Congress rules you know, how much the president gets paid, how much they get paid, uh, what, what their terms are, what the term, if they're, you know, term limits, how they're voted into office, whatever they control all that. But like, again, they're not incentivized to make the best system possible. They're incentivized to keep their control, their power control, their, their seat, they're incentivized to get reelected. 
And we can say like, oh, well, somebody should just primary them or somebody should run against them on the platform of, oh, well, I'm going to go into Congress and vote for term limits, vote for ranked choice voting, vote, I'm going to do this, this, and this. The way you get elected in this country, it's very, very uh, hard and unusual to get elected to Congress without the support of your party, without the support of the National Democratic Party, without the support of the Republican National Party, without the support of your state party, without the support. Like you need the big party help with money and networking and donations and whatever. You need all that machine to get elected. Like they, the two party system has been so become so great. It happens. There are certain situations where outsiders run and win very rare and they don't win enough to actually take control of Congress and vote in these things that would actually help. And it's like such an uphill battle. You have to get a majority in the house, a majority in the Senate, and then have a president that's going to agree with you when in general, the president gets elected because of those national parties. So they have a, they have an incentive to keep the national parties happy, not, you know, Joe Schmo from 67th district of California or wherever you're from. Like there's no, it's at all levels. None of it is incentivized to change. They're like, there's no reason why the democratic national committee or the Republican national committee would voluntarily give up power. But, but and I think it's interesting you bring that up because um, I guess about two years ago, you know, I joined the Loudoun County Republican committee um, wanted to work on the issues committee, and we started drafting a school choice resolution. Um, and there was a lot of good stuff in there, but there was also things in there that, like, because we're against CRT, because we're against things like that. And I was like, guys, do we do we have hard evidence that this is being put in any curriculum, um, and that it's actually CRT? Like, can we clearly define what CRT is and give the example? Because if we don't, I think we need to steer clear of the sensationalism and just stick to the matter of facts because that would let people who even disagree with us now respect us and we aren't seen as sensationalists who are just trying to um, scare people to vote for us. Now, I don't know any of the reasons why, but all I know is I wasn't asked to help with anything else. Now, I don't know, again, I don't know why. So I'm not, I don't want to make a false accusation or assume it was sure. because they didn't like me, but <laughs> it is interesting because, I, I mean, you kind of have to, if you want to be involved at any level, even as a volunteer, you need to toe the party line and toe, to play it, the game. toe it well. And I, it's like, I, man, that's crazy. Yeah. Because, I mean, because of what you said, and you told me this, you know, a year ago, or whatever, that you were, you joined that and were on that committee. That encouraged me to go look at the Loudoun County Democrats. And in order to join that, to join the Loudoun County De- Democrats, you have to pledge to vote for the candidates that they like endorse. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's not. Like, I'm not saying I wouldn't vote for that person, but I don't want to be locked into that choice. Yeah. Like, we're a, we're the entire point. Like, again, diversity on the, in the Democrats is like a meme at this point, a buzzword. But like, we're supposed to be this diverse party. Like, there's no way all of us are going to see eye to eye on every candidate. Uh, and it's not like, oh, they won. They won. So you have to vote for them. But it's like, I'm, I, I don't remember what it was exactly. It, it wasn't that like it was an endorsement, but it was like, if we back a candidate, you have to go along with that. And it wasn't like it wasn't like if Hillary won the the or Biden won the uh, primary, like, oh, I, I'm not not going to vote for Biden. But it's like at the local level. And it's like there are way too many candidates at a local level for me to be like, OK, I'm going to absolutely vote down the, the committee line with these people. Like, I'm going to vote for the people I think that align with my beliefs. Again, I'm somebody who's when um, when the shooting happened 
uh, a while, not the shooting before, I think it was the Detroit, not the, the Michigan area high school shooting. Oh yeah. When I was in their like chat room and they were talking about it and I posted our, our gun, um, episode in there. Like I'm pro gun. Like I, I think people should own guns. I think people should be licensed and trained to own guns. I don't think it should be a free for all like it currently is, but, but being more pro gun is not a mainstream democratic thing. And we're in Virginia. Like this isn't like, we're not in New York city. Like yes, DC, Northern Virginia is more urbanized and um, not as rural, but like drive 40 minutes South drive 40 minutes West. Like you're in the country. Those people own guns. Those people own mini guns. Those people have been responsible gun owners for, you know, generations in their family. You're not going to win those people over by being ardent anti-gun. Well, uh, that's, just, that's, the, that's the reality of Virginia. Like you can get away with it in California. You can get away with it in New York, but like in Virginia, you're not going to get away with it. And it's like to take such a hard stance against it. Like I'm not going to vote for that candidate of a candidate that is that dumb because you're not going to win. Uh, you might win Loudoun County, but you're not going to win like a statewide race if you're vehemently anti-gun like that. Yeah, and I think the same is true. I mean, for a number of issues on the Republican Party, I mean, like if, if LCRC, if it was that they thought I wasn't Republican enough on education, they really hate what I think about criminal justice reform. But the bad thing is there are so many votes to get. If, if Republicans really embraced principle of small government and a more libertarian platform like they say they, they embrace – you would get millions more votes if you went to those people and consistently both um, discussed like why this why this framework, why this thought of government benefits everybody, why it gets government out of your life, why it doesn't hold you back, and if you voted consistent with that. But but Republicans say, and in, in my opinion, Republicans say small government unless you're gay. Small <laughs> government unless and they have all these caveats based off of morality, and I'm like Small government does not put government as the moral arbiter for society. It, it, it not not on that level unless you're affecting somebody else. So, like you said, you know, we have two parties. I've said before. I think we have one. They both want tyranny by majority, but yes. they have two different perspectives on how to get that tyranny. Yes, yes, and it like it's even. I mean, I think that there are real differences between the two parties. Don't get me wrong, but like at a base, like at a thirty thousand foot view. They're the same. They want like, again, it's it's kind of tongue in cheek now to call the Republicans the party of small government when we've seen time and time, basically since George W. Bush, since 9-11 uh, with the Patriot Act, with the uh, AUMF authorization of use of military force, with uh, the expanded surveillance state, with being against uh, gay, I don't want uh, gay rights, basically. Um, Even on budget stuff, like Republican president and Congress. Increased deficits. They spend basically on DOD. There's no, there's no difference. You're you're just like which party, both that, and that's kind of what I want to get or what I wanted to get to is like being a voter that says, okay, I'm a libertarian, and I agree more with Republicans in general. So I'm going to vote for Republicans. But it's like they're not the party small government anymore. They're going to spend your tax dollars just as much as the Democrats are. So really, you're just voting on who do you think is going to waste money the, the best. It's it's which, which, and I'm being very sensational here and I understand that, but it's somewhat fair to say which form of tyranny do you prefer? Yes. Because, because again, both of them, and I use tyranny loosely, but but both of them just want control Um, and they want to meddle in society, economics, privacy, all these different aspects of life. 
Um, it's just they draw lines at different places. So I think their governing philosophy is the same. The way they employ it is different. And that's the whole debate is how you'll employ authority as opposed yes. to how you will get out of people's way. Yeah, I agree completely. And like, that's why it's always funny when I hear somebody talk about like, uh, make fun of a Democrat and be like, oh, you think, uh, you know, daddy government is going to fix this issue for you. And it's like, that's both parties. Like what, show me, show me where the, the, the Republicans in charge of the federal government have not swung the, you know, swung the big stick. They, they do it just as much as the Democrats now. And they, they're not, there's no, um, the mask is off on like reducing the deficit. Like they're spending just as much as any president, like each president since George W. Bush, who started increasing, like took uh, the Clinton surplus years and started increasing the deficit. Since then, every president has increased the deficit more and more and more and more and more mm -hmm. Republican and Democrats. So it's like, what are you talking about? Both, both of them are doing the exact same thing. And it's exactly like you said, they're just kind of wielding the power differently, but it's the same power that neither. And they're not incentivized to get out of control. There's no reason to. Well, and the interesting thing is, and, and kind of a slight turn, but I'm going somewhere with this. Have you, do you know who Dale Davis is? Are you familiar with him? Twitter guy? Um, I've never seen him on Twitter, but uh, I listen to him on podcast. Um, he's a musician. Uh, well, that's what he started out as, but he's a black guy. And now he's more famous because he makes friends with KKK members and then over years, like he's collected like 27 hoods from all the people. Not the Twitter guy, I thought. But yeah, I, I know who you're talking. I know that story. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I was listening to him um, and I've just become fascinated with the way he thinks and how he approaches people. And just it's been really cool. But um, he talked about how the Tea Party, um, he believes, is racist because they were saying we need to take government back. Um, and I found that interesting because like my understanding was this Tea Party wave was wanting to take government back to fiscal responsibility, was wanting to take government back to limited government, more centralized power at the local levels. All of those things Republicans said they stood for. So then the Tea Party grows and you get the Senator Cruz's, Senator Graham, some of these people kind of come in on that way. And maybe not Senator Graham, but definitely Senator Cruz, Senator Paul, like all these people um, jumping in on that wave. And then they don't do anything different than what Republicans have always done. So... I can understand the conclusion of we get this rebranded Republican Party when we have our first black president and they're saying we want to take America back and yeah. why that looks racist and why those people that would think, ah, eh, this sounds like backhanded racism. Well, when you don't do anything different for the 15 years after you get elected, it does seem a little, I mean, again, I don't think it was racist, but I can understand the argument when you could look at the results. Yeah, but it's also the thing is like even if they wanted to do something different, they're not incentive. The 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 larger party doesn't incentivize that. Like there's a there's a I would say the most splinter group in Congress is the Freedom Caucus, but it's only ever ten people or less. Uh, they are extremely right wing, far right wing. Uh, think people like uh, Louis Gomer and people like that. Uh, and if you know who that is, then. It's because you've heard some of his insane ramblings. There's one guy from Arizona too, like Andy Biggs or something like that. Um, but at least they have like, they go against their main party again, it's because they don't think the main party is extreme enough. I'm glad they're not the majority, <laughs> but they're one of the only splinter groups in Congress that actually like has some sort of principles that they vote with and are afraid of uh, uh, losing favor with the bigger party. 
But that being said, like the reason why they are small and they're never going to grow is because of that. Like they have no, they, when you take on the big party, you really need, um, like Trump kind of did it, but he really just turned the Republican national committee into the Trump national committee. And like, that was a great move by him, but like, it's still, it wasn't like they defeated that. Like they didn't like all the same people are in their, the RNC. It's just, they kind of got behind Trump and, uh, rode the, the MAGA wave, but but he benefited from a large primary season for the Republicans. Yes, 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 of course. But one of the things that kind of is interesting is if you follow politics as like the way people vote, the way individual congressmen vote and senators and the like, they'll vote for things they don't they don't necessarily agree with. If the like the larger party needs their vote, like like if you watch Game uh, not Game of Thrones, uh, House of Cards, like what the whip is, <laughs> yeah. the House Whip. Like you go around getting votes and you make deals and whatever, but like, it's like, I need your vote on this and then we'll vote on this for you. Uh, that's a two party system thing. That's a, a lar- that's a, a too powerful democratic national committee and Republican national committee thing. You, um, you, we shouldn't have a Congress where our people vote against a vote for or against something that they don't actually believe in that vote, but like they have to, because of the politics of it, you can't AOC is never going to take over the, you know, Nancy Pelosi's job. She's never going to be speaker of the house, despite what Fox news is what will tell its viewers because she doesn't have that, that mainstream support. You have to play the game. You have like when, when all those squad members and progressives got in Congress and they, they um, promised to like not vote for Nancy Pelosi as speaker, like all those people damaged their standing with the party. And like, unless you can actually have that for lack of a better term coup, where you take overtake the leadership by getting enough votes, like it's not beneficial to your political career. And it's not like a, it's not like a flippant thing. AOC losing points with Pelosi and not being like, let's say I believe in what AOC wants to accomplish, right? Like I I'm fully with her on something. Let's pretend in this fantasy world. If I want her to make the most changes that I think need to be made along with her vision, I want her to play the game to get into a position of power to make those changes, right? And that's the sh- that's one of the shittiest parts about our system of government, the way we do things, because we have a two-party system. She has to play the game. She shouldn't be challenging Nancy Pelosi. When you challenge Nancy Pelosi and lose, and the next in line is is a Pelosi acolyte, like they remember that. They're not going to put you into the committee assignments that you need to be in to actually affect change. They're going to put you in the the lesser ones that nobody cares about where you can't make a noise you can't make any ruckus you have to make those deals to actually affect change it's the exact same thing on the republican part on the republican side and like that's one of the biggest things that like people don't people who don't follow this stuff closely and just kind of like blame congress and like how individual congress people or congress as a whole can have single digit approval ratings but like individual congress people can have high approval ratings, high reelection percentages. It's precisely because of this. They have to vote with like the party basically tells them what their vote is. Most of the time, there are very few circumstances when, um, when the Republicans tried to overturn parts of ACA and, you know, John McCain had the famous thumbs down uh, (laughs) vote that doesn't happen often. And even still it was because McCain was basically at the end of his life and he didn't, he wasn't looking to get reelected necessarily. Like he could make that vote without, with pretty much impunity. There was nothing that like the Republicans could really do to him at that point. But like for the most of them, like when you come in as a junior Senator or a freshman house member, like 
you can't really rock the boat because that they're just going to sideline you. And then all they do is they, they primary you with a, somebody who's going to fall in line in the next election. And that, you know, the house is every two years They you can get replaced very easily in the house. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's besides first past the post voting, the, the first past the post voting gives us a two party system. The two party system gives us what we see in Congress and why it's so dysfunctional. And that, those are like my two, like 90% of the problems of our government really are distilled down to those two issues. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting though, because my, my hope would be that, and it hadn't happened yet, granted, but that with how many instruments um, political leaders have to reach the mass population, um, they can start to engage the public directly and have like some, some nuanced arguments, whether it be through YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, or the fact that, like, okay, I'm going on these talk shows, and the next day these talk shows are on YouTube, right? So, I mean, I would hope that they would be able to say, like, here's why I voted for this, here's why I didn't. Um, and I think that's one potentially helpful solution to where we are and how we get out of it. I think the other thing, and I talk talk about this to Democrats quite a bit, is, okay, if you really thought President Trump was super destructive and super dangerous and set a bad precedent, then you have to agree that the executive having so much authority is dangerous. And you have to, even if you like what an executive order does, you have to want the executive office reformed because what one person can do, what a benevolent dictator can do, a non-benevolent dictator can undo and make it worse. So you have to de-scope some of these offices and you have to say, even if I like the conclusion that this politician reaches, his process was flawed or her process was flawed and anybody else can get in this office, use the same process for a more destructive end. And that's a problem that's bigger than the moment. And I would say that last 10% of what I think is wrong with the government, maybe 9% with 1% being various other things, <laughs> but this is exactly what you're talking about, about Congress ceding power to the executive. But that all goes along to like, they don't want to, like it, you already explained it. They don't, they want to, they want to, not have the responsibility placed on them so they can re- win their election and, and maintain power. Like it all, it's all connected. It's all, they're all very overlapping issues, but like that's that last 9% where like Congress isn't doing its job. Congress hasn't done its job. Congress is, has been de-incentivized to do their job and they basically just all cede it to the president and let the president do stuff. Uh, and again, I think that's where we probably need like, referendums and like referendums. I don't think referendums are a panacea to all our issues, but it's a way to get around this ineffectual Congress that we all hate that has single digit performance ratings uh, or unfavorably, you know, they have single digit favorability ratings. Like we need a mechanism to where like, okay, you guys are never going to do this. So let the, the, the American people should vote on this. Like it shouldn't, I don't like, that's a very tyranny by majority thing, but I think it's the only way we can get around Congress being dis- de-incentivized. We would need amendments. Again, they have no reason to do this ever, but we, you, you would need an amendment for term limits. You'd need an amendment for uh, uh, affecting like the federal, the federal government has basically no say in how states run their elections. That's how, the constitution kind of sets it up. So each individual state has to do it, which is great in theory. But when the Republican national committee basically runs all the Republican states and the democratic national committee basically runs all the democratic states, like even if there's a few outliers, it's not enough to make a difference. So again, we're, we have a two party system because of first past the post. And because we have a two party system, we, the Congress doesn't do anything and seats power to the executive. Like it's all interconnected interwoven, but like, that's those would be the three top reasons in descending order for me. 
Uh, well, and to take, it, to take it even a layer deeper, it's something I think that really uh, drives you mad um, about the state of politics is you have to pander as a candidate to donors. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> that's the reality of it, right? So now that's another layer of a two-party system. At, at, you want at, to be- at best, your congressperson in the House, definitely, and somewhat in the Senate, but it, definitely in the House, your, your House congressional person is spending, at best, 50% of their time fundraising for the next election and 50% mm-hmm. of their time working issues that affect your district. At best, 50%. It's probably closer to 90-10 for most of them. But at best, they're, 50% of their time is fundraising for their next election. And that's because there's no term limits. Like, imagine if we, if we said uh, you get three terms uh, and, like, they would still be fundraising stuff, but there'd be a, a definite end date like that. It's kind of like how we have two presidential terms and, like, oh, you reelect me again, I can actually get stuff done in my second term because I'm not going to be running for reelection. Like, I, I have four years of of just uh, work I can do. It, we don't have that on the, in the house on the, on Congress side. And, uh, but again, they they're not incentivized to do that to themselves. Why would they ever do that? And the, the crazy thing is how much money you need. Like when my wife and I were exploring me running for just state office, one of the things we found was to run for a state office and like, you know, to be elected to the general assembly, a million to a million five for a campaign yeah. for state office. Like, I was like, that's insane. And then, like you said, they were like, okay, expect basically the year leading up to the election to have five nights a week out of the house doing events, campaigning, making phone calls. And like, that's insane. Like, I've got kids. I've got a job. Like, yeah. Like, who are you looking for? Yeah. That's why we said no for the moment. But yeah. And, uh, maybe, maybe my percentages are a little wrong because like money in politics is definitely an issue. But it's not as big of a – like even if we capped the amount – like there's certain countries do stuff by like – you know like when you are um, – I think it's when you go to the DMV or whatever. You can donate a dollar or whatever to the political party fund or whatever for the state, the general, the general election fund uh, to run elections in the state. Like some countries say like, OK, part of your tax dollars go to this general election fund and any candidate who wants to run, they all get the same amount from that general election fund to do campaigning. Uh, but even still, that's not going to stop the two party system. That's like, that'll help a little bit. That's something that like, you need to fix first past the post voting first. And then like further down the line, you can take out, take out money. I think politics, money in politics is obviously terrible. Uh, one of the main reasons is a selfish reason. Like I hate seeing political ads on every YouTube video or TV (laughs) channel or whatever, like in election season that's gets miserable, uh, because they're also disingenuous, but they're also racist because if I listen to gospel, I get Democratic uh, ads. <laughs> and then if I listen to country, I get Republican ads. And I'm like, I'm stereotyping. Like, this is clearly. Yes. They know their audiences. They do the research. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but like, that's like money in politics, absolutely an issue. But like, that doesn't, you could take out all the money in politics and it wouldn't change what we currently have. Uh, it's the, it's the, we need to incentivize Congress to act in the best interest of their constituents. And we don't have that. Uh, there should be no reason why you, Honestly, there really should be no reason why you'd know the name of uh, House members of the House that aren't the Speaker of the House, uh, the minority leader. Uh, if you're if you're like if you're Republican, you should know who the minority leader is. If you're a Democrat, you should know who the Speaker is, the majority leader, and then you should know your representative. Those are like the only two people you should know in Congress. There's no reason to like to make big. If you're making yourself a big national name, 
you're you're being a bad house member in my opinion. <laughs> like you're obviously you're you're in it for yourself. Uh you're in it for your own brand, which I mean you're incentivized to do that. It's like if you get a more national profile, that makes you more popular at home. Like, oh, that's our that's our guy. We see him on TV all the time. But we I know who AOC is. Like she's very wildly popular in New York. But like most people could only name I mean, to be fair, the average person only knows whatever ones Fox News or CNN or whoever are talking about. So like I'm sure the Fox News people know like 10 and half of those are probably like AOC and um, Pelosi and uh, who's the one from Minnesota? A Somali. Uh, uh, Oman, uh, Omar, Oman. Yes, 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 yes. Ilhan Omar, uh, Rep Omar. Like people like that. And then on the other side, like Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Bober. Like just really the fringe people who are not. Well, the most sensational ones, right? Because like I wouldn't mention like Senator Cruz in the same category as like a a Gates or a MTG. But um, he makes his arguments in the most sensational way possible. He's not as I agree that his views aren't necessarily as extreme as those ones are, but he's def, he is one of the most self interested interested politicians there is in Congress. Period. Like when my I mean it's it's a old line, but at this point, uh, former uh, Senator um, God, what was his name? The guy from Minnesota who resigned after the picture scandal. He used to be a writer on SNL. Remember, I'm looking it up. Al Franken. When Al Franken was like, I hate Ted Cruz and I probably like him the most out of any senator. <laughs> like I and I hate his guts. Uh like stuff like that. Like he's he's obviously not a good a good senator in my opinion. Uh but yeah, again, it's it, they're not they're not incentivized to act for their constituents really. They're not incentivized to act for the better of the American people. They're incentivized to maintain power, to to toe the party line, to um maintain control that's what the incentivizations are it's not it's not to do the best if you like imagine telling congress like okay we've you can vote on this bill and no matter how you vote you can vote with your heart or conscience. like there's no consequences like to you personally or professionally like you're not, you're if you were going to get reelected you were going to get reelected anyway like it doesn't change anything but like you're not going to get in trouble with uh, your national party in your, like there's no repercussions with your vote. Like if you could tell that to every member of Congress, like voting would be so different. We wouldn't see these votes down party lines. We wouldn't see votes like it would just wouldn't happen. We would see a lot more bipartisanship. But there's no, I, I'm broken record. There's no incentive to be bar, bipartisan because we have this two party system. Why in an election year would you vote on a, a Democratic priority that you agree with, even if you agree with it? That helps the Democrats in the election. Yeah, uh, you don't you don't get kudos in in your 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 national party, you don't get kudos in your, your home election with the, uh, the more extreme parts of your party in your district. You don't get kudos for being bipartisan with that. You're like, why are you helping the Democrats? That's something if we, if they pass the, the, uh, what is it? That marriage act. What I can't remember what it's called. Reform. Uh, Respect for marriage act. For marriage act. That's something Biden's going to run on in 2024. That's something, you know, the Democrats are going to run on in 2022. That's not like a Republican talking point that you can be like, oh, I voted for the Respect for Marriage Act. Like, vote for me. Like, that's yeah. not something even even if deep down they want to like they like I like those 47 Republican senators. Good for them. But they're probably in districts where they have to vote that way. Like they're in some kind of swing swing district or something. The Senate is not so 
forgiving uh, forgiving in that sense like the senate doesn't have to worry about that as much so i that's why like that 60 vote threshold is going to be uh a high bar in my opinion but yeah, i don't know man i i can complain about the government all day and uh <laughs> we're already rolling up on 9 30 our time and we both got work tomorrow so is there anything uh you kind of want to wrap up with what anything we missed no the only thing i think would also is, i would say makes it worse is uh cameras uh, in Congress, where every time uh, you're on the floor debating, it's a it's an advertisement, it's a, a time to market. Yeah. Um, I think it just creates a space that does not allow for good faith argument or really trying to solve a problem. Um, yeah. And the bad thing is, I believe in transparency of government, but that assumes a lot that we probably cannot assume at this point. Well, it's not that people aren't. It's not that people are tuning into C-SPAN to watch this stuff. It's that they're doing it for the Fox News, the CNNs, the MSNBCs. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Which is the problem, right? But that's not – we can't – that's capitalism. We're, we're not going to regulate the media in order to stop that from happening. Uh, I agree with you. But it's most – again, I think if we had ranked choice voting and if we had – That changes a lot, yeah. Right. We like we these people would be held accountable a lot more like your theatrics don't work as much because there's you're playing to you have to play to a bigger audience now, not your hardcore diehard base. So, again, I like if you had open primaries and ranked towards voting, a, a Democratic candidate and a Republican candidate has to appeal to both me and you on the basis of their argument. Yeah. Where you can't get too sensational or driven to any uh polarizing side um or or you're going to lose so it forces you to both campaign and vote in a way that i think is more thoughtful and more nuanced and that's a good thing yeah of course uh definitely and like again ranked choice voting encourages a more informed voter base too because now you have to know more candidates you don't just vote for the the big name at the top of the ticket on your on your side like you have to actually know people and even if you are just going to vote three republicans who cares at least you there there is a choice there uh and it, it has a meaningful impact but yeah uh i think all this stuff is very obvious we're not some like mega geniuses to be the first ones to think of all these issues but given the system we have it, it it's going to take congress to change congress and unfortunately that's just never going to happen they have no reason to loosen their grip on bauer it's true God bless America, everybody. Good night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even again, I say this like when when we talk about like I've said this, I don't think I've said it on the podcast before, but I've said this in conversation many times, like and it, and it applies to this conversation as well. I'd ask you like, as our system of government, the best in the world, like we could be the least racist country in the world and still be very racist. We could have the best system of government in the world and still have a bad system of government. Uh, so it's all relative. I, 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 again, I think because we have such a good framework, that's kind of what has kept us afloat, but we would devolve given how massive and diverse we are. It's insane that we only have two parties and that they are pretty similar, like not obviously they uh, on the, on certain issues, they are diametrically opposed, but like in all honesty, they are very similar on a lot of what the way they act for sure. But like a lot of the issues they're, they're pretty close. But like given our like we have one of the most diverse countries in the world and we have two political parties to represent all 330 million of us. It's absolutely absurd. So, again, if you're somebody who listens to this podcast, you're probably more informed voter than the average person. If you listen to any kind of politics driven or society driven podcast, like you're more informed than the average 
average Joe Schmo on the street who just voting the, you know, straight Republican ticket or straight Democratic ticket, like push for, you don't even have to join. I don't know how it is with the Loudoun County Republicans, but for the Democrats, like I don't even have to join them. I, I haven't joined them. I'm still just debating whether I'm going to join them or not, but I can still engage on their Slack channels. I can still show up to their meetings. I just am not, um, I don't have any like, voting power. Right. But I can still have my voice heard. Uh, I, I would encourage you to look into that sort of thing. It's, it's push for being a part of your platform that you want ranked choice voting, even if it's just within your organization for now, because there's certain, um, you know, committee assignments, committee heads, even in the small local chapters, there are, you, you do vote on who's the president, who's the treasurer, who's this and that, like start there, get ranked choice voting there, get ranked choice voting at the local level. Like that, that's the only way to get it is like, once we have that at the state level, which again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a low probability, but that's the way it starts. We're n- people. It's the same thing. I think uh, an interesting debate within the Libertarian Party, which we need to do a party on just libertarianism in general, because I called it childish, and I would like to expound on that. Uh, uh, because I like said, I think that's a little too harsh. Yeah, I know you like, are. Am I? Yeah, the Libertarian Party is going like they want. They want to get their name on the big ticket. They they push real hard for that rep- that. Um, presidential election stuff like you got to start from the ground up you need to get more libertarians and state offices gary johnson in new mexico was a great one as far as like getting libertarians in, in high profile places i think there's one libertarian governor currently if i'm not mistaken i could be mistaken i haven't kept up with uh governorships but i thought there was one libertarian governor but that's what you, you gotta do at the local level and same with ranked choice voting and I, like I said, in my opinion, that's one, one of the biggest issues we have and a, a, something we would see almost immediate uh, changes with is if we institute a ranked choice voting on a national level. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. Like I, I, I'm not as active in the Democratic Slack uh, recently since I started school, but I'm definitely going to get more in there more active. And that's something I want to push for, for sure. Well, 930, is there any... Uh, Anything else? We're at an hour 20, so we got a solid uh, over our hour episode like we always are. <laughs> no, I think we've ranted enough for one night. Yeah, and uh, we could get there. There are other issues that I have that we didn't bring up, but I wanted to at least get our main, the meat of the issue on there. Like I said, I think 90% of the issues that we that I have with our system of government, we covered. So yeah, I think uh, maybe a part two in the future. Maybe if something serious changes, if... Uh, term limits become an actual topic that uh congress takes seriously we can revisit but yeah i think i I think there are real changes that could be made but it's it's absolutely got to be at the ground floor at the at the local level because the anything at the national level is just too monolithic it's too ingrained it's too large to change you really got to do it from the grassroots local level and then just fo- you have to force them to change because they're not going to do it on their own. Yeah. Well, like we said at the beginning of the episode, I mean, no large swath of people like or adjust well to radical changes anywhere in history. That's never been the case. People have done well with radical changes overnight. Um, but like I say, you start with city and county and, and work your way up to state. And then when you've got 15, 20 states doing it, it becomes more of a this isn't scary. This is actually really good. We proved the concept on multiple levels. Let's keep moving forward. So, Keep moving forward. Just like uh, the 1v1 Deep State podcast. We're moving forward. Moving towards episode 25 and eventually 100 and eventually 1,000, hopefully. 
if we're still so inclined. But we always appreciate you guys joining us, listening in. Join our Discord. Let me know if we missed any obvious things about what's wrong with our system of government. Or if you just want to vent about our system of government, that's okay, too. Uh, I'll be in there. I'll I'll uh, comfort you, I guess. But follow us on Twitter, OVO Deep State, at the rake with the A's of four, at Thomas Black underscore 86. And once again, Discord link is in the description. Click that bad boy. Join our Discord. Come have some conversations with us. Uh, especially since especially the summer where we've been kind of spotty with the episodes. If you're itching to talk about something or or hear somebody's opinion on something, need a reality check where uh, I'm always in there. Uh, Thomas, you know, like once every three or four months, he'll chime in. I have good intentions. And then disappear. Uh, but again, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next time. Take it easy.